grab a seat. I want to welcome all of you. Is Jesus alive, church? Amen? Yeah? You believe that? Yes? Man, that is so exciting. We don't just celebrate Jesus being alive only one day of the year. You understand that, right? Because of the victory of Jesus Christ, we stand in that victory. That is our current position of standing as victors in him. And so I'm excited that you are here today. But if that is true, that Jesus is alive and I stand in victory, I want to ask you a question. Why do we do some of the things that we do? Why do I do what I do sometimes? Like, let me give you an example Maybe uh, you can relate to this. Maybe we're, I'm in a conversation with someone or you're, you're you know, talking to somebody and they start maybe talking about a common friend that you have and they're, they're talking them up in a really good way and you agree, but then for some reason you feel the need to maybe share a little special insight that you know, maybe about a flaw that they have or you know, something that maybe they did, a decision, you know, to kind of knock them down where they belong a little bit. And uh, so the conversation, you kind of share a little something. Then you walk away. How many times have you done this where you're like, man, why did I do that? Why did I feel the need to, to kind of knock somebody else down a little bit to make myself feel it? Why did I do that? Why didn't I just keep my big mouth shut? Why did I do that? Has anybody else ever done that? Or how about this one? This is pretty simple, but times where maybe you're just uh, standing in front of the refrigerator and you're looking in, you're on the search, and you're thinking, what am I doing? I'm not even hungry. What am I looking for? I, I, I know I'm not the only one that does this, okay? What am I doing here? What's, what am I on the search for? Or maybe you're, you're telling a story about something, and as you're telling the story again, and maybe you're telling it again to somebody else, you find that you have a tendency to exaggerate the story a little bit more each time, and it maybe makes you look a little better each time you exaggerate it a little bit. What's going on inside of us that makes us feel the need to do these kinds of things? You're going through the store, and you, uh, you see a pair of shoes. You really, um, you know, you don't need another pair of shoes, but you're like, man, I want that pair of shoes. I'm going to get it. And you're standing in line. You've got the pair of shoes. And then you're thinking while you're waiting, what am I doing? I've got like 15 other pairs of shoes in the closet. I don't need these you know, what is going on within us that, that we are on the search for to satisfy something within our own hearts that we are struggling with? Why do I do the things that I do? Well, I don't mean to oversimplify this, but I would suggest this to all of us here today. We do the things that we do because we think the things that we think. We're thinking a certain way. Well, why do I think a certain way about certain subjects that we're going to kind of look in today, specifically our identity? And I would suggest this to you that we're on the search for something to kind of affirm us, to, to make us significant in some way. Many of us, we kind of feel like there's something that is not satisfied within our soul, and we might struggle specifically with this issue of contentment. And so we are, we're looking for something to satisfy us. We're looking for something to affirm us, right? Why do I do what I do? And for many of us, we will, we will do some of the things that we do because we're trying to find this as we search, and when we think we found it, for many of us, it becomes our identity. Let me give you an example. Um, our culture will say that you are maybe where you live, 
many in our culture will say, you are what you do. Where you work, that that is your identity. But the question I want to pose in that is, if it's where I live or what I do or what I achieve or maybe what somebody else has even said about me, what happens if that goes away? I came across this article about Ronda Rousey. She, uh, in 2015, in Sports Illustrated, was named the world's most dominant athlete. Not female athlete, world's most dominant athlete. And she had had a run in her early life leading up to this point in 2015 where she was the first U.S. woman to ever win the Olympic medal in judo. She also was the youngest woman ever to qualify for the Olympics at age 14. She was consistently during that period one of the top three women champions in the world in judo. And she had transitioned out of that into mixed martial arts, into MMA, UFC. And whenever she did this, she went on a run where she was 12-0. and And here's the thing, if she was 12-0 and with only one opponent in those 12 rounds or 12 bouts, even surviving the first round with her. And within that, only eight of the 12 challengers she faced, only eight of those went past the first minute. You wanna talk about dominant. But then something happened. Do you know what happened? She lost in 2015, later that, later that year. And she lost badly to a preacher's daughter. I'm telling you right now, those preacher's daughters are tough. She lost. You know what she said right after that? She said this. This was sad. I was literally, I'm quoting her, sitting there and thinking about killing myself. And at the exact second, I'm like, these are her words, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? And no one cares about me anymore without this. I'm nothing. Her whole identity was tied to her achievements and what other people had said about her being this dominant force, and then it was gone, and so she's feeling this. And I really think that many of us, and I want to really speak to those of us who are believers today, we do what we do because I think for some of us, we have falsely believed some things that maybe have been projected upon us, and we've believed those things as truths, whether they are true or not perceived truths, and many of us will kind of stay locked into a mindset about certain things because we've just believed these things because it's kind of what our culture says. You are what you do. You are what you achieve. You are what you buy, what you possess, what you own. That's kind of what our culture says to us, and many of us have bought into this. And so so for many of us, we will do whatever it takes to keep up a certain image, Many of us will will wreck relationships to keep up maybe a status and we'll get imbalanced in our lives. Maybe some of us will go into enormous amounts of debt, uh, even though we know we shouldn't because we've we've got a certain image to, to keep up in order to keep up our identity that we've tried to project to others. Some of us will wreck our families and we will overwork and get imbalanced in that area and neglect our families because, well, we got to bring in a certain amount of income to keep up a certain lifestyle. And we often do this to impress people. And many times we're trying to impress people that 
really don't care probably as much as we think they care. You know, and so we kind of lock ourselves into this. And some of us stay locked in this place in our past by what maybe somebody has said about us, whether it's good or whether it's maybe even a bad thing. And we stay paralyzed into thinking that what somebody else did to us or said about us or projected upon us, that that is our identity. I want to suggest this to you today. We do what we do because we don't understand who we are. Many of us are doing the things that we are doing because we have not applied the truth about who we actually are. Remember, I'm speaking at this moment about those who are in Jesus Christ. And our identity impacts our behaviors. Today, we're going to talk about the impact in the book of Ephesians, the impact our identity has on our behaviors. And if Christ is your Savior, and as Jesus Christ is alive, and you said that he was a minute ago, and you sang about that, does that influence and impact us today? Are there some truths that we carry out of this, especially in this area that we're talking about in this series of contentment? Now, contentment isn't only about financial matters. Um, there are other things that cause a restless heart within us. And some of us this morning, and I'm just, I'm just being real with you. Remember, I'm, I'm in this with you. I'm not preaching down to you. Man, I struggle with this, my identity issue sometimes. Uh, and, and here is what I struggle with, is that sometimes I've really failed to believe and apply what is true about what Christ has said and about what Christ has done. And so it gives us, and we live this way, kind of a restless spirit, a restless heart. And we're going about our daily life for many of us, even though we claim Christ is our Savior and he is, many of us, we don't live any differently. And we don't have joy that is, that is different than the rest of the world. Or maybe we don't have peace that we've read about that Jesus gives us. And so there's a discontentment that we don't, this discontentment that is true about our lives we're, we can't say like Paul said. Remember what he said? We read where he said, I have learned the secret to contentment. I've learned to be uh, content if I have much or if my circumstances are great. That's the here and now. Or even if they're not good. And he wrote that whenever he was in prison. I've learned the secret of being content and, and still having all the things that Jesus said are available to me. I don't have to get over to the then and there that we've been talking about to actually experience contentment. I've learned the secret of this. And I know that I want this in my life. I know that you want this in your life as well, but how do we train our hearts the way that Paul trained his heart? Because he said, I've learned this. It doesn't just happen automatically. We've gotta to begin to learn some things about ourselves and learn some things about what God says about us. So today I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians and I'm gonna give you some context let me let you know, we'll get to the passage in a minute, so don't think he's never going to get to the passage, but I think it's imperative that you understand some context before we just start reading this passage. Paul wrote this letter uh, to a group of people where he had planted a church in, in the city of Ephesus, and he was in prison when he wrote this. He started a church there, and, uh, and, and here is what we're going to pull out of this and see this. I really believe that if we begin to understand at our core what God has done for us and done in us and how it's applied to us, if we begin to comprehend that, um, then we're going to see that there are going to be some behavioral shifts 
that are going to happen because our mind, the way we think, is going to begin to change, which impacts the way that we behave. So, so let me just kind of explain a little bit to you about Ephesus. And I know I showed you this video a few weeks ago. I want you to look at it again to start envisioning the people that were there. This is the ancient city of Ephesus. And it was an entertainment district. It was a business district, a banking center. Many times when we look and read about these people, we forget that they were real people like we are, struggling with a lot of the same things that we struggle with. Okay, and remember a few weeks ago when I showed this, Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy who was pastoring in this church. These, these streets were packed with people, okay? Um, people were coming from all over the world to this specific area. Where, where was Ephesus? It's in modern-day Turkey today, but, uh, but I want you to kind of get an idea of why this was such a, a happening place, It's because it was a major importing and exporting place. It was a coastal city. Sometimes we think that these, these, maybe these folks were uncultured or they weren't as educated as many of us are. And so, you know, it was 2,000 years ago. It doesn't really apply to us. But I want you to understand that they were people just like us. They were, many of them were very cultured. Many of them were living. This wasn't a, in a place that wasn't a podunk little town. Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Major trade was happening there, importing and exporting. There were engineers there, politicians, entertainers, architects. Here's one of the, one of the, uh, the seven ancient wonders of the world was the temple of Artemis. Okay, that was built outside of the city. And so, I mean, there were great minds that went into building this temple where they were worshiping the goddess Artemis. It was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. So Paul spent three years with these people. And because Paul was there with them longer than any of the others, what I want you to get out of this is Paul understood them. He knew the things that they were battling with and that they were struggling with. So Paul, when he goes to Ephesus before he's in prison, he goes there and he tells those people that Jesus Christ came for them, that he shares the gospel with them, that he loved them, and and he calls them to be in his family. And many of them put their faith in Jesus Christ. They were saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And here is what they had. Paul left that place to go plant other churches. And so there were a lot of baby Christians there. And whenever Paul left that place... They had brand new hearts and they were a new creation, but here's what they had, old habits. Do we struggle with old habits? Default mode. They had old habits that they were dealing with. They were messy people. You know churches are filled with messy people, right? You're looking at one of them. Churches are made up of messy people. Paul, in chapters four through six, Paul is going to begin to talk about some things to them that they were struggling with. He's going to talk to them about some of their behaviors, the second half of the book, okay? There's six chapters in Ephesians. But he's going to talk about the behaviors like, are you ready for some of their behaviors they were struggling with? These are church people, drunkenness, they were having marriage problems, they were having parenting issues, they were struggling with anger and rage, they were having issues with sexual immorality. They were struggling with their mouths. They were saying things. That's why Paul would say, 
Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That's why Paul would say, be not drunk with wine. Paul would address all kinds of things. They were, they were being deceitful. Some had been stealing and doing all kinds of things that messy people do. I want to remind you he's writing to church people who are real people dealing with real problems. So before he even gets to these behaviors, to shift these behaviors, I want you to see what Paul does. The first three chapters, Paul is going to address their belief and their belonging. And in essence, what he's going to address is their identity. Now, I, I, I got to tell you, you got to get this, okay? This is important to begin to have behavioral shifts because many of us will zero in on the behavioral shifts and we will, we will not really understand our identity. And then we'll default and go back to some of the same behaviors. Paul's saying, before I ever get to your behavior, I want you to understand and remember what I told you whenever I was there about what Christ has done for you, about because of what Christ has done for you, what that means in your life, who you are now, who you belong to. What Paul is going to say in the first three chapters is this, church, this is who you are. And many of us have forgotten who we are. Because we've forgotten this, we go back into some of these old patterns and old, old, old behaviors. How do I get a contented heart? I want that. I don't want to have this restless heart. I want to be like Paul where I, I can say I've learned the secret to this. How do I experience this? And I really believe that it goes to the core of our true identity. When we get this, you know what we begin to experience? Freedom. Because remember the here and now and remember the then and there that we've been using. I won't use it today, but uh, with the carpet squares. But in the here and now, here's the freedom is this. Everything is not ideal or maybe everything is good right now. I don't have to get to then and there to actually be content. I may get to then and there, but uh, this isn't contingent on whether or not I experience joy and happiness in my life. This is just another destination. And so... Paul said, I've learned to experience this no matter what my circumstances are, and it's freedom. I don't have to have that job uh, in order to be happy. I'd like it, but I'm already contented before I get there. Do you see? Okay? This is what's happening. I don't have to move into this place to be happy. I'm already happy. I may get to relocate, but I'm bringing my joy and my happiness with me. <laughs> As I come to this place, the behavior of contentment is not tied to what, what somebody else says about me, what somebody else thinks about me, what something happened in my past, you know, defining me. My internal peace is rooted in what God says about me. Now, that's a big preamble to give you this text because it's going to begin to make some sense to us as we look at this today. So Paul's telling them this, and he's going to give them some images, some word pictures to help this maybe pierce their soul and help them take this in. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, let's begin to work through this passage. He's going to start off and he's going to say, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, what's the next word, church? Every. We don't have to parse the Greek to know what every is. Every means all. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So he's starting off with their position that has been given to them by God's grace in their life. He's starting in their position, in our position. And now he's going to say some things here. 
even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance, say the next words with me, to do what? To adopt us. Let's say it again. To do what? To adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now say this next part with me out loud, all right? Y'all help me out. Come on. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. The Father adopted you. If you have believed Christ as your Savior, he's adopted you. He picked you. He chose you. He wanted you. Do you hear that? He wanted you, not because of something that you did for him or earned, but because he loved you in advance. He picked you. He wanted you. Now, we look at this verse and we look at it with our 21st century perspective. And sometimes I think we miss some things because we're trying to put, we're looking at it through that lens. The way to really understand this is we need to, we need to understand what these people that he was writing to, what they heard and what they understood when they first heard these words. So this is why Paul is going to use some very strategic um, images for them, okay? And, and, and what he's going to say is I want you to understand some things about yourself, now, here's the first thing I want you to write down. This is really key to the rest of what we're going to talk about in these, these remaining minutes. I have been adopted. If I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I have been adopted into the Father's family. He's using this word adoption. Now, I know we understand uh, adoption in our culture today. I'm not saying that we don't. But from this perspective, we've got to know something that when those believers heard this, verse 5, that God the Father decided in advance to adopt you into his family through Jesus, what you need to know is when they heard this, there was something that resonated with them because they were living in a culture that was notorious for child abandonment. It was incredibly common. When a baby was born, the baby was brought to the father in that Roman culture, and that father had a decision to make whether or not he was going to receive that child or to reject that child. The father in that time, in this culture, could reject that child for any reason that he deemed necessary. He didn't even really have to have a reason. Maybe he wanted a boy and a girl was born. Maybe uh, this child had a defect. Maybe he just didn't want to care for it. And so in many cases, the father would reject that child. It happened all the time in their culture. Now, what did you do with the child who had been rejected? Well, they didn't kill them instantly on the spot. This is what they did. They would take a child that had been rejected. They would take them outside the city, and they would take them, and they would leave them to be exposed to the elements and kind of just up to if the gods would take them or not and do something with them. Do you know where they took them? They took them to the dump, the town dump. It would not be uncommon for you to walk by that area outside the gates and to hear the frail cries of children, of, of infants in that place. That was something that was happening in this culture. It was a horrible thing. They were discarded. They'd been dumped. If they survived, uh, and oftentimes what would happen, because this was also happening during the time, there would be those who traded in human flesh who would come by and would pick those children up, and they may pick them up and take them home, but what they would do is they would raise them to be slaves or prostitutes. They would pick them up for their own personal profit. 
So from the get-go here, instead of Paul talking to these people about their anger issues and their addiction issues, their sexual promiscuity and immorality, and telling them just fix this, or, or how they talked about others and struggled with their mouths, and all these things that were manifesting within them, Um, There was this major abandonment culture in which they lived. And Paul is saying, I need you to understand who you are now because Jesus Christ is in your life. No matter what your background is. No matter if you are a slave now or a prostitute or you are living in this culture. The God of the universe, some of you need to hear this, he picked you out. He picked you out, he picked you up, he brought you into his arms, and he took you home. He took you home, and he made you a son, and he made you a daughter. He he adopted you into your family. So here's the truth. Your identity isn't found in the dad who dumped you in your past. Your identity is found in the God who loved you before you were ever even born. Before you could ever do anything to earn it. A God who loved you from the very beginning. And you know what he did, brothers and sisters? Rescued us out of the dump. Out of the refuse pile that is this world. And picked you up and said, and some of you need to hear this as if God is speaking it right to you. This one is mine. And he is now my son. Some of you have never believed that. And he is now, or she is now my daughter. This one is mine. And not just a second class daughter or a second class son. One who is, and you'll see it over and over again in the scriptures, a co-heir with Jesus Christ himself. A co-heir. That's who you are. Now, there's going to be something that comes up on the screen. And I want you to verbalize this, okay? But here's the thing. I want you to say it only if you believe it. And if you can't say it today because you don't believe it, I pray you can get to this place, right? And here's what it is. And if you believe this, I want you to say it with me. Read it first and look at that. And then I want us to say it together. Are you ready? Say this with me if you believe this. I am loved and wanted by our Heavenly Father. Do you believe that? I'm loved by him. I'm wanted by him, right? And when you are struggling with the discontentment, when your heart is restless and you're on the search for something, maybe this peace that is lacking within your heart and your heart is so filled with anxiety, maybe you're trying to to find something to fill it in that moment and all the the world will offer you all of these remedies, self-medication, approval of others, Shopping, overeating, overindulgence in alcohol. Whenever you're finding this tendency to want to go to those places, you have to choose to come back to this truth. I'm already loved. I'm already accepted. I'm already, I, I was wanted. I want to I ask you a question, and this is going to be a hard question for some of you today. I'm not just trying to wound you or bring up wounds in your past although I think sometimes we need to to get to the core. But here is the question that some of you are reckoning with today. Are you ready for this? Who dumped you? Has there been someone who has dumped you? Maybe it was a parent that walked out on you a long time ago. And they left. 
and you've carried yourself throughout your life with this feeling of rejection. Maybe it was a parent that was there, but they weren't really there and you felt rejected. Who, uh, who dumped you? Who rejected you? Maybe it was a spouse that walked out on you. Maybe it was a fiance that called it off. Maybe it was somebody that betrayed you. Maybe it was a friend who's just started ghosting you and you don't understand what's going on. Who, who dumped you? Maybe it was your work that said, we don't need you anymore. Maybe it was a team that didn't want you. Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it was a, a child that has walked away from you. You don't know if they're going to come back. They've turned their back on you, turned their back on God, and you're struggling with this. Many of us haven't dealt with this pain that's in our lives accordingly, and so many of us, we'll stuff this, we'll avoid it, we don't want to talk about it, and what it has created within many of us is an unhealthy view of ourselves that often manifests in our behaviors. It comes out in our behaviors, and we wonder why we are, why we are lacking peace and joy. You know why? We feel stuck. We've chosen to believe that we are rejected. And Paul is saying, I want to get you back to the fact that your core identity is not defined by what someone did to you in the past. Your core identity is defined by what someone did for you. Amen, right? And his name is Jesus. And this is what he did for you. And this is why this is your identity that you take into your soul. You're not defined by your past mistakes or your past by what somebody else did to you. You have been accepted, you have been adopted, you have been wanted. You are now a cherished son, you are a treasured daughter. My brothers and sisters, those of you online, you need to take this in. That's who you are, church. That's who you are. Can you receive it? I think we ought to clap to a God like that, that does that. And it's not because you've done anything to earn it. That's why it's grace. Oh, we get used to grace, don't we? We get used to it. And whenever we begin to relieve this, that's what Paul's saying, take it in. Before I get to your behaviors, I got to get to, I got to, get to your belief and your belonging. And then he's going to begin to use another word picture, okay? Verse 6, he says this. So we praise God the, for the what? Glorious, come on, grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. That he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he did what? He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. That purchased our freedom Here's this, what this word is, and they would have understood this word. It's the word, we talked about it back at Christmas, redeemed. He redeemed us. He showered his kindness on us with all of his wisdom and understanding. This word redemption, when we hear the word in our culture today, especially as believers, we think theologically, and it is a great theological word. When they were hearing this letter that was being read to them, they didn't quite understand the theological implication of this as Paul was using this word picture. What they heard was, and what this took them back to, was back to the agora, the marketplace. Because here's what the word redeem means. It means to buy. 
It means to buy something, to purchase something out of. And so they were thinking transactionally whenever they heard this word redemption. But Paul is uh, Paul's taking them to this place. You know what you could buy in the, uh, the Agora? Clothes, spices, uh, jewelry, just about anything that you wanted. You know what else you could buy in the Agora? People. Ephesus was the major epicenter for the slave trade in the Roman Empire at that time. So in this place, think of this, there were slaves who had put their faith in Jesus Christ. They are hearing this word, you have been redeemed, okay? And those who were not slaves were also hearing, you have been redeemed, okay? You're in a slave situation. You may not be able to get out of the slavery physically, but here's the other slave situation we're in. We're enslaved to our sin, and we are dead to our sins. We're separated from God, and because of that, that means that we're going to be separated from God in a place called hell. We are enslaved in this. And so there was, a, there was different kinds of slaves. There were those that had been born into slavery, and then there were also those who could not repay a debt, and as a result, they would end up becoming slaves. And so uh, unless you could pay that You were locked in this hopeless cycle of poverty and a condition that you pretty much couldn't control until somebody or if somebody came along that cared enough about you to redeem you out of that hopeless situation. And so I want you to envision that you are enslaved because at one point, if you were in Christ, at one point you were enslaved. And just like me. Slave and uh, a slave to sin and death, and you're working out in the field, and somebody, the foreman comes out and says, "You come on, come on, come with me." And you're wondering, "What in the world did I do? Am I about to get abused? What's happening?" You go in, and you notice that there is somebody that you know from a while back. Somehow they came up with enough money to pay for a debt that you could never pay, because you're locked in slavery. How are you ever going to pay it off? And they paid it for you. And they're counting those coins out on the table, paying for you. And the owner looks at you and he says this. He says these words. You're free to go. You're free. You know what you have been? You've been redeemed. Somebody did something for you that you could never do for yourself. Someone paid the ransom. That's why Paul will use this language over and over again. In this place, there were probably 250,000 or more people in this city. There would be somewhere between 60 to 100,000 of them who would be slaves. And so they understood this word, right? And, and, and so, so you would leave that situation and, and you would just be probably flooded with emotion. You're free. I'm free to go live my life now. I've been freed from the slavery. Or you could continue to choose to have the mindset and live like a slave, even though you've been freed. I came across this heartbreaking illustration this week as I was looking at this. It's a story that a Jewish rabbi named Herschel Schachter told Whenever he went to Buchenwald prison camp, concentration camp back in World War II, Patton's third army had liberated them. And the American soldiers had gone into this place where there were hundreds, if not thousands of men who were living in these barracks and these bunks. And they were emaciated, they'd been decimated, they'd been abused and oppressed for years and, and they essentially were slaves that were working as slaves. They were told they were not human. All these horrific things that they went through. And the Americans were going in. 
They were going in and telling them that they were free. But they wouldn't leave the bunks. They couldn't believe. They thought that these Americans who were coming in, who were in uniforms, were just another oppressor because men in uniforms had been telling them all of these horrific things. And it wasn't until Rabbi Schachter went in and he spoke to them in their own language and he said these words, Shalom, brothers, you're free to go. You're free to leave the abusive barracks that you have been in. They, they, didn't want, they didn't want to leave until he began to tell them. And slowly there was, a, there was a few that would trickle out of the bunks and begin to walk out. And then more and more began to, to understand that this was real. It was happening. It really was happening. He would go from barracks to barracks and say, you're free. You're free, brother. Shalom, you're free. And what Paul is saying to many of those who were slaves, they may not be freed from the physical slavery, but he was saying, you've been liberated from an even greater oppressor in your life, which is sin and death. And you may not be able to change your status, but you are free. You are free, and I think that many of us Although we have been told week after week, either in sermons or things that we've read, that we are free, we are free, we are free. There are many of us who stay in the bunks of abuse and our past because we have failed to believe that there has been a liberator that loves us. We say it, but we haven't taken it into our hearts. And so we continue to live as if we are in this place of being locked in paralyzed. We're stuck. We forget that Jesus said these words as he hung on the cross. Do you know what he said? It, say it with me, it is what, church? Do you know what that means? Paid in full. And he paid the debt for us that we could never pay for ourselves. So here is your truth that we've got to take out of this. Say it only if you believe it. And if you can't believe it today, I pray you get to this place. Say it with me, church. Come on. I am redeemed and set free by Jesus, the Son. Do you believe that? I'm set. I'm free. I'm free. I don't have to stay in this place that has had me locked in, this habit that has me in this place. Let me ask you something. Are you starting to catch the drift of how God feels about you? What do you think? Do you believe it? Do you believe that God really loves you? There was another thing that, uh, that Paul would bring up as another word picture, and we'll wrap up with this, okay? Right, so they, they would hear the word redemption. They would hear the word adopted. He was using specific things. Now, in these churches, there would be uh, these slaves who would be in the church. That's why when Paul would write he would talk about slaves relating to their masters who had become Christians. Right? The letter wasn't written to liberate slaves because that would happen later on. Paul was addressing real issues that were happening. He wasn't condoning slavery. He was just saying, you're in a situation. It's here and now. It's not going to change overnight. This is how you are to relate to one another. And many of them were, no, all of them, if you were a slave, you were identified by a mark. You were tattooed. And that tattoo would be the seal of whoever your owner was. If you were a runaway slave, you were branded with a hot iron. And that was a mark. It was a seal, okay? And the mark of your master became your identity. 
Look at this verse. And when you believed in Christ, when you believed, do you see? It's already happened. He identified you as his own. He sealed you is the way that translates. The moment you believed, and how did he seal you? By giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father or the Son. Here's what this means. God himself sealed you by coming to live inside of you now. He lives in you. He's not in, he's not in this building here. You're the building. You're the place that he chooses to indwell, right? And he promised it long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee. That word guarantee is down payment. It's, it's what earnest money would be like if we talk about this transaction. It's just a little bit, and the rest is going to be paid later. And here is what he said that will give us, it's the guarantee that will give us the inheritance he promised that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. He did this so that when we understand who we are, what he has done for us, what our identity means for us, do you know what that means? You know, it's really difficult for us to go about praising and glorifying God if we are discontented all of the time. But if we are content and we understand who we are, even if the situation is not ideal that we're in, but we're still praising God, it brings glory to his name by the way that we live in this situation. And so here's the truth, okay? We've got, we've got this truth about being sealed in him. You are sealed once and for all in him with more benefits still to come down the road, okay? So I want you to say this truth if you believe this. Say it with me. Are you ready? I am sealed and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. When your discontented heart begins to creep in, you need to come back to these truths. Paul's taking them to these truths. And I want you to hear where Paul affirms these truths about our identity in this final passage of Scripture, okay? So look over in Galatians. It's going to come up on the screen. And I want you to hear all of these elements Paul's going to bring up with this church too. And he wants us in this church here in Fort Worth, Saginaw, he wants us to get this too. You ready? Here's what he says. When the right time came, I preached this back at Christmas, when the fullness of time, the perfect time, God the Father did what? Sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God the Father here sent him to, here it is, by freedom, redeem us. For, 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 for we were slaves to the law so that he could do what? Adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son, there it is, into our hearts, prompting us to call out, come on, say it with me, what? Abba, Father. Do you realize Jews didn't call God by that name? And what Abba is, you ready? It's dad. It's daddy. And he's picked you up, and he's pleased to have you in his family, and he wants you. If maybe you never had a good dad, he is the perfect father who loves you and has accepted you already because of what Jesus did. Abba, Father, now, now, right now, you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you what? An heir. You're an heir. You're an heir to all that is in heaven. That's who you are. You got to remember this daily. 
Our identity is not anchored in what belongs to us, but who we belong to. Our identity is not found in what we purchased, but who purchased us. Our identity is not found in, in what somebody did to us in the past. Our identity is found by what Jesus has already, or what we do right now, it's by what Jesus already did. It's been done. It's fin- that's who you are. And so when I realize this, here's the good part, folks, is how I apply it. I don't have to have that purchase to actually finally, to finally be content and to find my identity there. I might buy this or I might not. I'm taking my identity into the purchase. I don't have to have the brand new job, uh, right, to find my identity. I'm taking an identity I already have into the brand new job. It's, it, we get these flipped around. And this is the truth that begins to change our hearts when God fills our hearts up with our true identity when we get this. So I want to invite you to pray with me right now. You're adopted. You've been redeemed. You've been sealed in Jesus. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, today you can receive him by grace through faith. It's not how good you be, how you can be, how often you come to church. It's right now you just saying, Jesus Christ, I receive you as my Savior. I, I, I receive this identity. Lord, would you, would you change the identity of my past into who you can make me to be right now through your Son, Jesus Christ? Call upon him to be your Savior. Some of you this morning, maybe you've been feeling rejected or abandoned by someone. The greatest thing you can do if you're carrying yourself in rejection to combat these feelings is to understand that there was one who was rejected for you so that you could be accepted. Can you just begin to choose to believe that? Can we ask God to help us take our eyes off of the one who has maybe rejected us here on this earth and place our focus on the one who has accepted me? And that's Jesus, the one who matters in eternity. I've been adopted into God's family. I've been redeemed by the Son. The Holy Spirit lives within me right now. That's who I am. We love you, Father. We praise you for your grace. Lord, may this truth just wash over your people today. May you set people free today who, who Lord, have been living in bondage to things from their past. May they experience freedom because you've already done the work to set us free. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray.